This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Hi, and welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Congratulations, you have found us. Come on in, dust yourself off, and warm yourself by the electronic bonfire. Uh, coming up uh, this week on The Conspiracy Television Program, are possible cures for cancer being suppressed? Dr. John Apsley, who was on this program last week talking about Ebola, is uh, featured in this episode. Uh, so be sure to tune in. That's The Conspiracy Show, the TV program, Monday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern across Canada. And don't forget, after the show, log on to our new interactive website, theconspiracyshow.com. This was put together by award-winning web uh, site designers theconspiracyshow.com and you can it's as I say highly interactive you can participate in the debate discuss you can even register your vote uh, as to whether you subscribe to a particular a theory or not uh, and the TV show incidentally has just been sold in Australia so we're very excited about that and of course it's now airing in over 100 markets in syndication in the United States and uh, don't forget my all-day conference follow the truth one of our featured speakers Jim Penniston Witness to the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident will be on the program next week just to give us a, a sneak preview of his, uh, well, explosive uh, presentation. Follow the Truth, Sunday, November 16th at the Regent Theatre in Oshawa. For tickets, call 905-721-3399. And for more details, visit followthetruth.tv. There is a very tall, very courageous man in studio... And he's earned the title Honorable uh, before his name. He was a heartbeat away from being Prime Minister of this country at one time. He served as this country's Minister of Defense under Prime Minister Lester Pearson. And back in 2005, he sent shockwaves through the UFO disclosure community when he became the first person of cabinet rank in the G8 group of countries to state unequivocally UFOs are as real as the airplanes flying overhead. He is the author of several books, including Light at the End of the Tunnel, A Survival Plan for the Human Species, The Evil Empire, Globalization's Darker Side, and his latest, 
The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis. The Honorable Paul Hellyer, thanks for being here. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And you're looking very well. Yes, uh, doing just fine for a young fellow. And may I say, you're, you are, uh, have you reached 90? Are you, you're approaching 90? I'm 91 now. 91? Yes. My word, you are just an incredibly fit uh, looking individual. I'm very blessed. I know it. Well, we want you to stay uh, as long as you can because you've got many more books, I'm sure, to write. Uh, Victor Vigiani uh, is uh, seated to his left. And Victor, of course, no stranger to this program, is a, a frequent guest and a, uh, an occasional guest host on the program. And he was, well, uh, instrumental, really, I think. In, wouldn't you agree, Paul, in, in, in facilitating at least your coming out party and, and, and bringing you, uh, you know, before the public in 2005? To... Without him, I wouldn't be here. There you are. So, Victor, how are you, my friend? Well, yes, I'm just fine. <laughs> just fine, yes. It's, uh, it goes back to 2005, I guess, eh, Paul, when, That's right. when it all happened. And uh, uh, the story behind it is a very interesting one, perhaps at uh, some point uh, later on, either in the show or at some future point, we could discuss exactly how the dynamics of that all worked. But it, it was a very interesting scenario as to how we... Uh, how he brought Paul into the into the limelight on this issue, and and no doubt during this conversation, the, the subject of UFOs, ETs will will pop up because there is a convergence here with what we're talking about. The, you know, this new book is about you know the money mafia and our money system, uh, and and how it has enslaved us all, and how we can get out from under this. Uh, but obviously, uh, that uh, also dovetails in with things like exotic energy, disruptive technologies like zero-point energy, uh, which, again, connected to the international banking system. Where does the zero-point energy come from? Uh, and, and, and obviously, that gets us into to discussions about ETs and UFOs. Exactly. This is an all-encompassing book. There are three uh, major issues in the world. Uh, the, the subtitle, as you know, is A World in a Crisis. And the, uh, the most urgent issue is uh, solving the banking situation and getting the world working again. Uh, the most important issue is global warming. And the third issue on the, uh, on the list is the ET uh, presence and technology. And they're all interrelated. It's all part of the same uh, kettle of fish, as we say. Well, the, 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 the numbers uh, coming out of, of, of Europe are not good. It looks like they're heading into another recession. I mean, one could argue they were, we, we never really recovered from the last one. They just papered it over uh, with, you know, QE and so forth. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? We've never gotten out of the last recession. This is the Great Recession. And the problem is, <clears throat> to put it bluntly, unless we change the system dramatically and fundamentally, we're not going to get out because there's no way. How can you borrow your way out of a recession? And with the present system, believe it or not, uh, 97% of all the money created is created by privately owned banks owned by the wealthiest people in the world. And it's all created as debt. It's virtual money. It's really credit uh, paid that's produced by the uh, by the private debt by the private banks, and no one produ- creates any money with which to pay the interest on that money. So if you if all of the money that's created is debt, and no one creates any money with which to pay the debt, what do you do? Well, you have to borrow more and more and go deeper and deeper into debt all the time, and there is no mathematical way out of it. We can't possibly pay off even a small slice of world debt because there's no way that it can be done. So the system has to be changed 
fundamentally, dramatically, and we have to get governments who own the patent to start creating some of the money. And uh, I know it works because I've seen it work in Canada. We had it, uh, that system from 1939 to 1974, and it worked beautifully. That changed while you were in, in Trudeau's cabinet in, in 74. Well, actually, I wasn't in his cabinet. You weren't in his cabinet No, then. I was out by then. And, and a lot of bad things started happening in 74, plus that was my last year in House of Commons. <clears throat> but from 39 to 70, 74, we had this system where the money creation function was shared between the government of Canada and the private banks. And it worked beautifully. In 1938, there were no jobs in Canada, none. In 1939, the war came along, and it wasn't long before everybody was either in the armed forces or building factories or, build, or making munitions. And uh, we went down to a historic low unemployment of 1%, would you believe? And uh, this, this system worked absolutely beautifully, getting us out of the Depression, which I remember well as a, as a young man. You're, you're talking about the formation of the, of the Bank of Canada and, and, its, and its stated purpose, which was to, to lend money to not only the federal government, but provincial governments, municipal governments, essentially not at zero interest, but very, very low interest, correct? Practi practically near zero. Yeah, well, it, it had been created before, but it really never did anything. Well, not a lot until 1939. And then it really came to bat for the people of Canada and helped us get out of the Depression, finance the war, and then later to finance the post-war uh, projects, the St. Lawrence Seaway, the Trans-Canada Highway, the new, great new air terminals, and also to lay the foundation for our extraordinary uh, social security system. And all of that was possible with virtually no debt. Well, then in 1974, the, uh, the governor of the Bank of Canada, without discussing it with the prime minister or, or advising him as to what was going to happen, changed the system and stopped lending money to the government at zero interest or near zero interest and started taking its orders for the, from the Bank for, of International Settlements in Zurich, Switzerland, and in effect sold out to the money mafia which is running the world and running our country as well as, uh, as the rest of the world. The Honorable Paul Hellyer, Canada's former Minister of Defense, uh, former Deputy Prime Minister, uh, is with us. And his new book is The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis. Victor Vigiani from uh, Zealand News Network as well. Uh, Victor, do you want to jump in here? Yeah, part? I just wanted to, to bring out the point that you were just making, Paul, regarding uh, in 1974 when things began to change and when, uh, when Gerald K. Bowie made a decision to alter the system that had been working so well for so long. Where did he get his marching orders from? You said it didn't come from cabinet, didn't come from the prime minister. Where did he get his marching orders from? Well, it was the Bank from? for International Settlements. They decided that uh, all of the central banks should get together, form a club, and all march to the same drummer. Weren't there a lot of former Nazis on the, the, international, uh, the, the Bank the, of International the, Settlements? The BIS had very close connections to the Nazis, both in the 1930s and, would you believe, during the war. And a little bit of it, I think, uh, sort of uh, hung on after the war. It has a very questionable background and was supposed to have been wound up after the war, and a lot of people wanted it wound up. But they had some friends in high places, and you know that friends in high places can be very helpful in a crisis. 
And so they managed not only to survive and figure out a way to make a lot of money themselves, but to, uh, in effect, run the international banking system on behalf of the owners of the biggest banks in the world. And that's what they've been doing ever since 1974, and that's what they're doing now. And as long as they're doing that, there is no hope for the world, period. What has happened to, uh, for example, the federal debt in Canada since 1974 and that decision was made to change the role of the Bank of Canada? Not to change the role, but basically ignore the Bank of Canada. Well, what happened was the the, uh, Bank of Canada adopted monetarism, which was basically unregulated banks, a deregulation of the banks. And uh, at the same time, accepted a dictum from the Bank of, uh, for International Settlements not to lend money to governments at low interest rates. And this applied across the board. And uh, as a result of that, also uh, to, um, to try and control uh, inflation by tight money, by monetary means. And so Jerry Bowie followed the steps of uh, Paul Volcker in the United States in 1981-82. Volcker raised interest rates in the United States to 18%. In Canada, Jerry Bowie went to 22, would you believe? And uh, you can imagine some of the poor people trying to refinance their uh, their mortgages at 22%, which... Uh, I remember. That was that was horrible for, yeah, for people. It absolutely. Was, listen, we'll take a time out. Uh, uh, Paul Hellyer, the Honorable Paul Hellyer, Victor Vigiani, the new book, The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis, Controversial, Explosive, A Must Read. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Welcome back. Don't forget, you can listen to the live stream. Uh, Let's say, for example, you're outside of our listening area or you're unable to listen in on one of our uh, list of about 30 U.S. affiliates and growing. Uh, Check out the uh, the live web stream at zoomerradio.ca, anywhere in the world. All right, we are back with the Honorable Paul Hellyer. His new book is called The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis, and our good friend Victor Vigiani, Executive Director of Zealand News Network, here as well. So uh, we're talking about uh, the problem with money in the current uh, money system. Uh, once the, the role of the Bank of Canada was uh, sort of pushed to the side and we could no longer, all levels of government could borrow from from that uh, and we had we were forced to borrow from you know the Royal Bank and the Bank of Nova Scotia and so forth and international lenders what happened to the federal debt well as a result of the uh, two recessions that the international banking system deliberately brought on 8182 that we mentioned with the high interest rates put millions of people out of work out of their homes bankrupt their businesses and uh, that put us in deficit Deficits rolled over into debt, happened again in 1991, and the great Canadian slump at that time. And we accumulated enough debt that from 1974 until 2011, we, we had to pay $1 trillion, $100 billion in interest that was not necessary, that could have been avoided. What could we have done with that money? Well, think of it, the infrastructure. Yeah, fantastic. You know, we're... In Toronto, we're just going through a, an election where the main issue is public transportation. And they're only looking for <laughs> a fair amount of money when you think of 
that kind of money. They could have paid all the bills with uh, with money that was made available if we had spent it on infrastructure and uh, and other things that were necessary instead of spending it on interest to pay the money lenders. And what percentage of our current federal debt, which is around $600 billion, I guess, uh, what percentage of that is compound interest? All of it, almost all of it. I think it started $14 billion was for, uh, for programs, and all of the rest is compound interest on the uh, deficits and debt that we've incurred since. You know, there's, a, there's a, an interesting YouTube video, I'm sure you're familiar with this, 12-year-old girl, Victoria Grant, and yeah. she's standing there, a 12-year-old, and she has such a grasp of what's wrong with this system, and why can't we see it if a 12-year-old can see it? She's absolutely why, fantastic. Why can't the politicians wake up? If you even ask most politicians, they come to the door canvassing, and you ask them, do you know where money comes from? They don't have a clue. Absolutely That's not. the problem. Absolutely not. But worse, they don't seem to be interested in finding out. They don't be interested, seem to be interested in learning. And they have to learn because they've got us into a position now where we're spending so much of our income on paying the interest that there isn't enough left for all of the other things, the, the Social Security requirements and the, and the arts and the, and the infrastructure in particular and so on. And they've, they've got to learn because if they don't, the country is never going to get out of the slump. Now, another contributing factor is that the money mafia has been using the same kind, the same people have been using trade agreements to take away power from the people. So we signed first the North American trade, the Canada-U.S. trade agreement, then the North American free trade agreement, and we uh, were put in a situation where if we decided, for example, we didn't want uh, uh, some American corporation coming in or something like that uh, and did something about it, they could sue the federal government. And they have. There have been a number of suits for billions of dollars. Sure. We tried to pass a law preventing certain gas additives oh. that we found were carcinogenic. And a corporation that made it in the United States sued the federal government. Not only did they sue them and made them rescind the law, they made them apologize. Oh. Where is the national sovereignty? Absolutely. That's, you put your finger right on, the, right on the problem. Now, we're going to make it worse. The Canadians sort of led the way with the uh, free trade agreement with the U.S. and then with NAFTA. <clears throat> We're going to make it worse because we've just signed an agreement with the European Union and it has to be ratified both here by our parliament. Actually, I'm, I'm not sure the parliament has the power to pass it, but this is what they're going to try to do is to get parliament to ratify it and then get the U European Union uh, uh, countries to ratify it. And if that is ratified, it is, in my opinion, an act of high treason in the literal sense of the words. If you look at the dictionary, selling your country out, for example, in both Oxford and Webster, it's the same thing. High treason because they put us in a position where if we go back to something similar to the system that we had between 1939 and 74, in order to employ half at least of the million unemployed young Canadians, and to start building rapid transit systems that we need so desperately and uh, doing all of the other things that have been put off or put back or canceled because of the austerity programs. If we started doing that, then the European banks could sue us for hundreds of billions of dollars. So consequently, in effect, they're tying us up 
they're tying our hands behind our back. We'll never be able to solve the problem. And, well, it's game over. If this agreement is signed, as you're saying. The, the agreement is signed, yeah. but it has to, uh, the government's going to have it ratified by – It's not that you're in opposition to free trade or fair trade. You just – because it's one of these big omnibus-type uh, agreements, one of the things that would be uh, sort of homogenized or harmonized rather, harmonized would be banking systems and we wouldn't be able to, to go back to the Bank of Canada as, exactly a, as a lender. Exactly. All of those things. But we were taken to the cleaners because they called them free trade agreements. They have very little to do with trade. I'm still paying duty when I cross the border. Where's free trade for me? Yeah, very little to do with trade. It was all about giving international corporations the power to run the world. So instead of us saying uh, we're going to make a decision regarding uh, uh, whether we're going to let foreign companies uh, bid on our, on our works or not, uh, they say, oh, well, you can't make that decision. Uh, that decision is made internationally. And besides, you can't appeal to Canadian courts. They have tribunals, international tribunals, that are under the control of what I call the cabal, uh, which includes the, the money mafia at the top. They are the ones that set the rules for the world. And our politicians are giving away the power to make those decisions and Worse, with the present agreement and the one proposed for the uh, Pacific uh, Trade Agreement, uh, the power to ever do anything about it. So this is our last chance, is what you're saying. It's the last chance. Now, a minute ago, you just said that you didn't think that our parliament had the power, quote-unquote, to sign this. Is it constitutionally, is that, not, is that the case? That's what I was talking about, uh -huh. yes. Under the Constitution in Canada, the federal government has the exclusive right over money and banking. Never been challenged. It's in the Constitution. It's absolute. We own the patent to create money. We the people. Right. We own the patent. Banks have no, they're licensees. They have no rights. All they have is privileges that Parliament has granted them. We could take them away tomorrow. Or we can tighten them or change them. We can do anything if we want to do it. But we're not. In effect, we're going to say, we don't care about the Constitution. Federal Parliament doesn't have the right to unilaterally change the Constitution in that respect. It is prohibited. But they're trying to do it anyway. Well, to quote Robin Williams, it appears our uh, Constitution is written on an etch-a-sketch. It doesn't seem to, to matter anymore, does it? I mean, all the rules of... We, don't, we no longer have the rule of law. The radicals have taken over. They have, they have run away with the law, and they are the law, instead of us being run by the rules of our own laws. It's not just Canada, though. I mean, it's uh, international. It's yeah. international. Every, every country has a, a sort of a, a central bank that's tied into the IMF in the system, and if they try to bucket, if they try to bring in their own monetary policy, like a Saddam Hussein or a Gaddafi, out they go under the, you know, it's... Oh, Al-Qaeda. We've discovered Al-Qaeda. It well, has sure. nothing to do with Al-Qaeda. It's the central banking system. Well, well, sure. And, of course, we're, like I said, we were number one with the free trade agreement with the U.S. and then NAFTA. Now we're number one with the Canada-EU, European trade agreement. Then the Americans are going to follow along. They're next. So that's the way the system works. And the, the big boys, the cabal running the world, or running the Western world, a lot of it anyway, are, are getting us to lead the way.
then the Americans will follow pretty soon. They have all of the power, all tied up, and the international corporations, which are subservient to the international banks, will in effect be running the world even more than they are now, or I should say with more confidence because they have taken away from us the right to do anything about it. The Honorable Paul Hellyer in the book is The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis. Victor, this sounds, I don't know, how do you help, how do you stop from despairing? It seems like they have everything locked down. Well, the the sense that I get is that it's sort of a matrix kind of a situation. We are all going about our our business day to day. You know, we go to work, we put bread on our table, and and everything looks on the surface to be okay to the average citizen who are tempted to pay their mortgage and pay their credit card debts and all of that. And nothing really seems to change. But below the surface, as, as, as Paul is mentioning, there's this maelstrom of activity of control among these cabals that are um, unilaterally making decisions and wiping out constitutions one by one throughout the globe. And if, if, if that's not wrong, if that's not immoral, I don't know what is. And I guess my question to Paul or, or even to any of the ministers of finance out there. I mean, what do you tell these men who are sitting up in Ottawa and, and Washington that, that's the tail wagging the dog now? You can't wake the dead. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you say to these people? Indeed, Paul. Uh, Paul it, it, what do you say to – I mean, if you were to sit down with uh, the, the finance minister right now, I mean, I know you had a conversation with, with uh, the, the Pierre Trudeau, uh, I guess after he left office. Right. Did he have an inkling of what was going on and what did he make of it? Well, I finally convinced him after three or four sessions, that I was right. But it took quite a a long while, and unfortunately it wasn't until after he had ceased to be prime minister. And if I had been able to persuade him while he was prime minister, then something might have happened. But they they will not uh, take the time to study and listen and learn. Because you're talking, you may talking about a few hours to learn enough about the money system to know that it's rotten. And we have a thoroughly rotten international banking and, uh, and monetary system. And it, I, I sort of describe it in the book and uh, talk about it this way, that let just for example, a, a loan to a student, $50,000. The banks can lend a student $50,000 on the basis of $2,500 capital. So they invest $2,500 in what I call blood, sweat, and tears money. In other words, something right. they've done something to earn. Then they can lend to the student 20 times that. That's fractional reserve banking. Absolutely. And the student has to pay back 100%, the $50,000 in blood, sweat, and tear money. They have to work half their life to, get, to pay off their debt. Plus interest. Right. Now, that is a loaded gun if I've ever seen that. That's grand larceny. That's just absolute grand larceny. It's alchemy. We've given them permission to, to create money from nothing and make untold trillions. We, we are enslaved. So how, how, do they, how do they actually justify that, Paul? How do they actually sit down and say, well, this is the way the system works and here's why it works well, that way? They don't justify it. They just count on the fact that we don't understand it. Well, but they also are – I mean I have heard uh, skeptics uh, or you know, uh, proponents of the current system say if we were to go back to that old system and, 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 and have the ability to, to, 
to uh, borrow money from the, the Bank of Canada at very low interest. It would be inflationary. It would cause rampant inflation. Well, you know, that's just um, – choose my words uh, – uh, carefully, <laughs> not true. <laughs> That's about as careful that as you can get. That was the first word that came to, came to my mind. <laughs> Horse hawk. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Some, some very bad word. Um, not true. As a matter of fact, the present system is the one that's inflationary. Now, you know, I know that there have been cases in the world where you get a, a despot. They get their hands on the printing presses and they print too much. But – you have to assume that there's a little common sense around. And one of the differences between myself and most monetary reformers is that I'm not proposing that governments create 100 percent of the money, which they have the right to do. Right. I'm proposing that they print 34 percent of the money. Why 34? That's a very precise number. Yeah. It's because that would reduce the fraction of – under the uh, fractional reserve banking from 20 to 1 to 2 to 1 which it was at the time that the Bank of England was first uh, uh, chartered. And it would still allow the banks enough credit that they could create a little money to finance new businesses and do other things. But they would be more like a public utility than they are now. Right. And, but, but, but public institutions, governments, would borrow from the Bank of Canada. The, actually, the Bank of Canada would create the money directly for the government. Right. Uh, and what I propose in the um, in the book is uh, something I proposed to the government of Canada for the last two or three years, that uh, they uh, just uh, have the uh, change the law one tiny little bit. They could do it all in two weeks to have the Bank of Canada accept uh, common shares, non-transferable, non. Uh, uh, you know, not subject to cancellation. Right. Let's, let's pick up on that point. Excuse me. We'll pick up on that point on the other side. And then we need to find out what, pray tell, does all this have to do with exotic energy, zero-point energy. Right. Back with more of my conversation with the Honorable Paul Hellyer, Victor Vigiani from Zeland News Network. The Money Mafia, a world in crisis, indeed. Welcome back. We are talking about uh, the, the present money system, uh, and how it is uh, used to enslave not just Canadians, but uh, people the world over. And this is kind of ironic. Uh, you know, we, we, we think of China as being, uh, in many ways it is, it's, it's tyrannical, it's despotic, uh, human rights abuses and so forth. But my understanding is they have sort of the equivalent of a Bank of Canada over there that, that operates much the same way that ours did prior to 1974. Yeah, they're, they're better than we are. In that regard. Yeah, in that regard. So the, 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 the People's Bank of China uh, is the primary lender to the various public institutions, and that's how they fund their projects. And that's the reason they have a 7% growth, and we have uh, one and a half. Or... And perhaps part of the reason they're being demonized. Yeah. What about Russia? I don't know. Perhaps Russia. Does Russia have the same system? Uh, I don't think the Russia. Uh, let's, let's talk about ours. Okay. Um, what we have got to do is to start we, – we should lead the, the way in changing the system. And you, all you have to do is take a certificate of a, a piece of paper and give it to the Bank of Canada, say for $10 billion uh, amounts. Right. And I've been suggesting $150 billion a year for seven years while you reduce the leverage of the banks, of the international banks, of all the banks. And, uh, 
and then you hand it to the, the uh, Bank of Canada's collateral, and they just write a check and put it in the government's accounts. And in Canada, it would be $75 billion a year for, for se about seven years. D Ontario's share would be $38 billion, and that would be enough to solve all of the problems that Ed but everybody has been uh, worried about for a long while and start getting us out of debt. So Paying back the, yeah. the, 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 the international lenders and, and so forth. And if we did this internationally, um, we could not only help poor countries and we could uh, finance the rapid transfer from an oil economy to a clean energy economy, which we should talk about before we... That's up next, here. yes. Uh, because we would have the liquid assets, liquid money to do it and uh, and still pay down the debt <clears throat> existing debt by 25 to 33 percent uh, in the course of the seven years well this didn't happen by accident the people that engineered this they knew what they were doing exactly. they knew so are, are, are these um, are these same is this same cabal then responsible uh, for you know, suppressing disruptive technologies, uh, you know, other things. Imagine if we had power sources where, you know, we would all be, you know, independent. Uh, we, could, we could not only heat our houses and, 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 and run factories. I mean, how empowering would that be if we each had our own individual power sources? Are they also responsible for the suppression of these disruptive technologies? In my, um, to the best of my knowledge, they have the technology and they're sitting on it. And what is that technology? It's uh, called zero-point energy, and you can take a little box uh, about uh, two or three feet square, and it's enough to power your, your car, your tractor, your, uh, your airplane, your home, anything that you have to power. And in the book, I recommend that instead of taking a 30 or 40 or 50-year timeline to change over to different kinds of energy and see our planet go up in flames, that uh, we set a target of seven years. My previous book, uh, Light at the End of the Tunnel, as you may remember, set ten years, but, you know, three or four years have gone by. So take seven years and make the target to change the power system in every car, truck, tractor, uh, ship, and and home in the whole world and to make the technology available without royalties because the U.S. owes us that. The U.S. owes the world that for what they've done to us the last few years and, uh, and then get everybody involved and it would provide billions of jobs. We've got a break coming up here, but just very quickly, we'll start the discussion now, continuing on later. What makes you so convinced that zero-point energy is real and, and these, this cabal has it in their grasp? Because there have been so many people who have developed it, uh, including uh, some of the extraterrestrials, uh, and there's been, there have been so many cases of all of a sudden their labs being destroyed, uh, or their, their blueprints disappearing, or the people themselves disappearing, that it is, in, in my opinion, beyond contest that the technology is there and that some of the most powerful people in the world are just hanging on to it for their own uses and for their own uh, plans, uh, and they're willing to see the world go up in flames and not give a darn about it. Did, did, 
let me ask you this. Did your publishers or does anyone ever around you say, listen, Paul, what you're saying about the money system makes sense and we can, we can maybe convince some people, but as soon as you bring in the, the ET issue, you're going you're gonna to lose the room and the whole message gets, you know, the baby with the bathwater and so forth. Did this you was, have to fight that? <clears throat> this was the fear. As a matter of fact, uh, that's the reason there are only two out of 14 chapters that, uh, that touch the subject. Because um, I had sort of weaved it through the, the story a little more in the original manuscript. And the publisher had the good common sense to say, uh, you've got some important things to say here. So let's get them into the important things before you started introducing them to what I call the broader reality. Uh, because they just, some people are not ready for it. They're skeptical. But in the book, I, I suggest what they have to do to be convinced and to look at the uh, at the tremendous amount of uh, of evidence that exists that's in the public realm, and uh, and they would be convinced. But it's it's something like the the money problem. If you don't take time off and study it, if you don't uh, invest anything in it, you don't know anything about it. All right, we are uh, we're going to head into another break, right, Tim? We're doing that right here. Okay, we come. We'll come back and uh, continue. Uh, to discuss the money mafia and all that entails, including exotic energy, zero-point energy, the same cabal enslaving humanity through this corrupt, evil uh, money system is also suppressing zero-point energy. Victor Vigiani from Zeland News Network, his questions to the Honorable Paul Hellyer when we return. And we are back. Uh, a few moments remain with the Honorable Paul Hellyer, and uh, his new book is The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis. Victor Vigiani in studio as well, our dear friend from Zealand News Network. And uh, uh, Victor, jump in. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, uh, let's broach the issue of, the, of this energy, um, uh, I guess, puzzle that, that, and the dilemma that faces the entire planet in terms of global warming and climate change and all of that. It's a given fact, as far as I'm concerned, and a lot of people with in the uh, disclosure community, that the United States government and possibly other um, G7 or G8 countries have in their back pocket uh, access to this technology, the free energy technology. Um, do, do you feel that um, moving towards any kind of public discussion about this um, is, is just as acidic as um, moving towards a public discussion about monetary reform? Or, or, or is it – what relationship is, is there there? I think it's difficult for people to grasp these uh, huge issues because they're so used to an oil economy and having an internal combustion engine that if you start talking about a little box that can, uh, can take energy from the cosmos uh, and use it to power your house or whatever, that, that's a big concept. And uh, it, takes a, it takes quite a while to get used to. But you know the, the the potential is fantastic. We had a bad ice storm in Toronto uh, last year, and uh, and people were cold. Uh, the power was off, and all this sort of thing. If you had one of these boxes in your basement, uh, you wouldn't need uh, power transmission lines, and uh, you wouldn't care whether uh, uh, something uh, a line went down because. You'd have your own power source. Why won't they let us have it? What's I mean, we, we're customers. I mean, presumably the cabal wants us useless eaters to buy their products and, and, and so forth. Why don't they give it to us? Why do they want the ship to go down? Aren't they living on the ship? I, th I think maybe originally some of them thought that it would be too disruptive economically 
that it would uh, put too many people out of work. Uh, in my opinion, just the opposite would happen. Uh, but this brings us back to the money issue. You've got to solve the money issue so that member countries have the financial flexibility to finance the transfer or to subsidize the transfer. And once you do that, you can create uh, millions and millions of jobs. And it's, it's interesting to me, and, and it makes me sad to remember that Canada emerged from World War II as a balanced economy with a lot of manufacturing, as well as our natural resources and so on. And since the, we signed the free trade agreement, we have been reverting to the kind of, of economy which is uh, almost, you know, the one we had before the war, where we're relying on natural resources, with the potash and, uh, and oil and all of these things, and without them we'd be in trouble. But what we've got to do is to say goodbye, I'm sorry, there's going to be a, a changeover, it'll, of course it'll be a big disruption. But we're talking about our house, which is on fire. And uh, having had one and gone through that, you don't say, well, I, we won't bother calling the fire department for a while. We'll see. Uh, maybe it'll go out naturally at, uh, you know, or some dumb thing. Uh, but we're, we're in a crisis situation. But any excuse, and of course the other side of it is that the, the oil cartel, which is part of the cabal, uh, is saying, you know, we've got trillions of dollars worth of money tied up in uh, – in fuel, and now we're into the fracking business, and it's very good, and it's a, it's a diabolical, but we don't really care about that because that's just affecting the water supply, uh, or might. Uh, so they, they, they want to cash in the chips of one first before they go to the other one. So does this cabal, uh, do they have, I'm, I'm trying to figure out in my head why they would uh, be willing to let everything go to hell in a handbasket at the speed of light if they're still living here. I mean, Richard Dolan talks about this separate civilization. They have at their disposal this technology, back-engineered from, from ETs or what have you. Does that mean that they, they don't care what happens here because they are a separate civilization? They have the capability of going off-planet if they want to. I don't know. Um, it's hard to get into their minds. I know that the technology has been developed. But I just can't understand anybody wanting to destroy the planet or to destroy most of the people living on the planet. And, uh, and I, I find that, um, you know, I know the possibility is there, but I just can't get my mind around it. That's the way they're behaving, though, as if, if they have nothing to worry about. Well, well the, I, yeah, but they have a, this intermediate step of the New World Order where, in effect, that they would be, uh, they would set up a, a, an autocratic uh, world government which would be the end of democracy and that they would, in effect, uh, be the elite uh, bankers and, uh, and others that would be running the world. And as uh, David Rockefeller said, uh, that they could uh, do a better job of it. And one of the things I did in my book was to just go through all of the things that are wrong now and say, well, you've been running it for the last 50 years. This is a better uh, future that you're talking about. Um, don't give us a give us a break, you know. Just and exactly, no. Victor. Yeah, in re in reading the book and, and the way you piece this all together, Paul, it it seems like to me that this whole matrix of what's going on. Um, it, I had this image in my mind over the years since the First World War and all the reparation and Germany coming back and all of that, that once all of this got into place, that there was a, a, a big room somewhere where all these men gathered on a, on a frequent basis saying, here's the way the world is going, going to unfold for the next 30 or 40 years. 
years. And I'm just sort of wondering, is there a, a coalesced effort at where these people meet and to, to design these plans to ensure that they will retain control. Like Here the Bilderberg is, meetings. Yeah, the Bilderberg and, uh, and, and uh, the Trilateral Commission and right. the Council of Foreign Relations. These people who have things all in their pocket already, ready to, to put onto the table so that the rest of the plant will follow suit, irrespective of whatever free energy we put in place or the fact that we're not alone in the universe. They have a manner in which they will counter any argument other than their own. Well, you, you've read the book, so you know that I have a chapter on the three sisters, the uh, Bilderbergers and the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, which started the, the whole thing, and uh, the Trilateral Commission, which is the, the new baby on the, on the street. Which incorporated Japan into the, into yeah, the fold, right. right? But they, um, they have so much power, and of course the cabal is, uh, goes uh, beyond that, it's... it's Starts at the, I think, with the banking cartel at the top, and the oil cartel, the international corporations, and then, in addition to that, uh, large sections of the intelligence organizations, uh, in at least one country uh, in the United States, and a, a big slice of the military as well. So this is a very, very large, powerful organization which has the tight grip and which is, I think, really engineering what's going on in the world and has been for, uh, for well, decades, decades, because the Council on Foreign Relations was talking about a new empire uh, back in the 1940s, before the last uh, World War was even over. We know what we know what happens to to world leaders that try to buck this system, uh, you know, Kennedy, uh, Lincoln, McKinley, uh, and and later you know they use different methods with with uh, Nixon they used uh, you know Watergate the Washington Post their their methods are getting far more sophisticated. How are we gonna give us an assignment in the five minutes that remains? How we can't do this at the ballot box. You can't, you know, it's like Hong Kong. They give us a slate of pre-approved candidates. Well, you, you could do it if, you, if enough people really join together. Uh, one of the things that I'm recommending, and there's a whole list of suggestions in the book that the, uh, that the Congress has to do, that the uh, G20 have to do, and the president has to do. And if they wanted to get rid of uh, the Federal Reserve System, for example, which is absolutely essential, you will never have a just world as long as the Fed lives. And so it should go, the Bank for International Settlements should go, and there's a list of things there. And I think if enough millions of people decided that we are going to do something, that they could do it, but it would... you know, in effect, a revolution of the mind and heart. It would mean that the young people of this world and the, and the veterans from all wars and, and, uh, and the decent people saying, yeah, we, we will get together. We'll take a risk uh, because the stakes are so very, very high. And the future of our planet and the future of our civilization are, uh, are at stake. And we'll take a risk and we'll get together and we will say these things must be done and we will not take no for an answer. Uh, do, you, uh, do you think Justin Trudeau, the new generation of leadership, do you think he gets it? Well, I don't think he's started to study the, these things yet and I'm hoping he will. I, I asked somebody to uh, buy a book and send it to him and that would be a start. All right. Do you think we, is there time? I mean, we, do, do we have time? Uh, I don't know. But uh, certainly, uh, 
Are we on the air? We're having some mic problems. We're on the air? Okay. If, there if, we are. If we don't do anything, we don't have time. Interestingly enough, in the book, I make a, uh, I refer to a prediction that was made by the ETs through a couple of uh, young people that uh, established contact with them, that this year, 2014, was the year that we had to start doing something, not accomplish everything that has to be done, but that we had to start doing the things that I've outlined in the book that have to be done if we want to have any chance of, uh, of salvaging our planet and our civilization as we know it at the present time. We needed this thing to go viral. Absolutely. Absolutely. And without the, the social media, it would be hopeless because the, the, the cabal controls uh, all the important papers of the, of the world, uh, or at least of, of most of them. And the, the ones that count, uh, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the L.A. Times and so on, and the, and the television networks. And uh, so uh, a lot of power, but if the social networks, you know how fast they put together the, uh, the springs in Egypt and uh, elsewhere. Right, right. And that shows what can be done very quickly. Well, I'm told that the, the, the future uh, now is uh, our, our YouTube channels. This is the way YouTube channels now have become the yellow pages. This is the way uh, people search for everything. Uh, so, you know, YouTube channels may be the, the way to get this out to the, the, to the people that are, uh, you know, forget us old fogies that are listening on uh, or well, reading print we, newspapers. <laughs> we, we have to absolutely have to do something that's new and different and immediate. Because now is the time that uh, action is required. And we've got to do something about the money system now, not 10 years from now, if not someone, five years. If someone came to you when you were in cabinet in the early 70s and laid this out for you, how would you have responded? I can't. That's a hypothetical question because uh, I was a monetary reformer 65 years ago. So I would have understood that part of it. Right. And just didn't get the chance to do it. Um, as far as the other things that we've been talking about, zero-point energy and so on, I'd, uh, I'd probably have said, well, show me. You know, I've, I'll give you an afternoon uh, uh, sometime, and, uh, and we'll talk about it. Victor, parting words, about 20 seconds? Well, just being pushed to the precipice the way the planet is right now, as Paul's saying, that uh, something immediate has to happen, and drastic times require drastic measures. And uh, like the flip of a coin in an instant, uh, something has to happen very, very quickly for humanity to understand collectively and in collective consciousness that something has to be done immediately about uh, the rectification of this, of this whole situation. Because if we don't do it now, as, as, he's, as, uh, as Mr. Heller is saying, is that we may have a wasted opportunity to float right by us. And that's the reason that I wrote this book when I did. I had no intention of doing it, but things are so desperate and the, the, the need is so urgent that I said I've got to get it out. Well, you're to be commended. Uh, you're a courageous, uh, a courageous man. And it's a, it's a great read, too. The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis, the Honorable Paul Hellyer. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Victor, as always, thank you. Terrific to be here. And the website is richardserrett.com, your portal to this radio program. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett and look for our new YouTube channel coming soon where we'll post this video and maybe we can make this go viral. We can do our part. All you Conspiracy Show fans to send this message to uh, people in high places. 
As always, follow the truth. All right. This is live radio. And we switch gears at a moment's notice. We can do that. We have the technology. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Anyone who's, who knows me uh, can attest to the fact that I am a, well, almost a complete Luddite. Uh, what do the kids call it? Uh, a techno-peasant. And uh, the mighty Aphrodite uh, still won't let me forget an incident five or six years ago when I referred to her communication device as a blueberry. <laughs> she just, I, one slip of the tongue. However, I mean, I think that's a clever marketing. They, they should have been called blueberries. Very friendly. It's a powerful food group. Anyway, uh, I'm trying to change that is what I'm saying. I'm trying to drag myself into the 21st century as fast as I can. And the reason for that is I believe the on this program is too important uh, to limit to terrestrial radio or terrestrial television. We have to reach a whole universe out there that no longer listens to terrestrial radio. They, they don't watch television on television. They, uh, they watch it on YouTube or Netflix or on the Internet. So tonight, an experiment. We're doing something called a Google Hangout. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, 72 hours ago, I didn't know what a Google Hangout was. I thought a Google Hangout was Starbucks. Uh, a bunch of guys with really bad haircuts and pocket protectors having their, you know, their tall uh, caramel lattes or something. That was a Google Hangout as far as, no, that's not what a Google Hangout, we're going we're gonna to learn about that. But here's the irony. We're, gonna, we're taking advantage of Google technology to get the word out, despite the fact that many people out there listening might see Google as part of some vast conspiracy of control. And we've got a Google insider uh, tonight to address whether or not Google is the real Illuminati. Google, Google is the cabal that we talk a lot about on this program. Google is the devil, the all-powerful Google. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Andrew Gregg is a visionary, a technology expert. He's a business leader, a world explorer, a teacher, a revolutionary thinker who has been forever changed by a recent death experience that shapes his unique worldview to this day. I should also mention that Andrew Gregg will be part of our Follow the Truth Conspiracy Show Summit coming up on November the 16th. He will be uh, uh, speaking about pyramids at that time and uh, the, the, the discovery now around the world of pyramidal structures, ancient pyramids, uh, that uh, have the power to provide energy and uh, to heal, uh, uh, healing qualities. But tonight, he is here to talk about Google and how perhaps Google is running the world and how we can wrest control away from the three people that own Google uh, for all of humankind. And we're very happy to have, as I mentioned, Andrew Gregg with us. Greg, uh, Andrew, how are you? Make sure I got your, uh, your microphone on here. There you are. How are you, my friend? Good, good. Thanks Can I get you to just to get a little closer to that mic there? Uh, whoops. A little bit of a... No. Over here. There we go. And I'll get you to swing your, your microphone over there, Victor Vigiani. There we go. Our good friend. Okay. We've got a mic problem. Which one do I get? That's the problem. This one right here. Okay. This one's the problem. Okay. Microphone number three, you are banished. <laughs> All right. There we go. 
Let's try that one. Uh, Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network, my, uh, my sidekick, uh, joins us as well. Just because, just because just he wants to hang, uh, and you're, you're welcome. We're doing a Google Hangout. First, before we get into this Google Inside stuff, what is a Google Hangout exactly, Andrew? Uh, Google Hangout is a way to be able to broadcast yourself on the Internet through YouTube, which you can embed in your website or Facebook or anywhere else. But it's also at the same time like uh, a WebEx or GoToMeeting or Skype on steroids. So it's, Skype on steroids. I like that. Yeah. It's like everything all, all put together. So this is going to help us to get this message on terrestrial radio out there. Yeah. Yeah, because radio really, of course, has a lot of unique content they can put out there. And uh, the Internet is a place that obviously the radio has been able to extend itself. So now because of the unique you know, way radio is set up um, – it really seems to be going towards, you know, Google Hangout broadcast air to be able to reach those audiences where TV and, and uh, you know, movies and stuff are sticking through their cable and satellite and the theaters and so on and so forth because that's their, their model. But uh, this, is, this is a great way for artists and, and radio stations to actually to extend their audiences. And, you know, it's like, you know, video killed the radio star. So maybe you guys can get your own back now, right? Maybe you can... Right. Well, it doesn't matter. I've always said people say, oh, you're worried about, uh, you know, 60 years ago, is FM going to kill AM and is satellite radio going to kill Terrell? It doesn't matter the technology. It's about storytelling. Uh, you know, as long as spoken word and music gets out there, whatever the delivery system, that to me is radio. I, I care not about the technology. It's invisible as far as I'm concerned. I'm just, we're just telling stories around a bonfire. That's right. Now, um, how do, if people want to uh, join this Google Hangout, uh, you know, what, how do they do that? Uh, you just go to my my YouTube channel, which we put the address on the, on the website and was tweeted out. Okay, can we share that over the terrestrial radio? Yeah, my lovely assistant Lisa. Lisa, uh, what's the the website if people want to join this Google Hangout tonight? Um, let's just see. I sent it to Albert, and he has the link. Okay, Albert, our intern, will get that for us in a moment. But anyway, the, the Google Hangout, is, uh, it's happening, and it's a bit of an experiment. All right, you're wearing the Google T-shirt. You, uh, you have a, a kind of a unique arrangement. You don't work for Google, but what is your arrangement with, with Google, this monolithic company? <laughs> yeah, the, um, uh, we were one of the very first Google Apps resellers, in fact, in the referral program prior to the reseller program. So they call it Google for work now. And basically, it's like a single sign-in for an alternative to Microsoft Office, to, uh, you know, to Skype, to uh, chat, video conferencing like WebEx or GoToMeeting. It's all in one type stuff. It's all coming to one place under a social business platform that they call Google Plus and Google Plus for Business. So it's, it's all come into, into, into one thing. So... You know, obviously, there's a lot of apps there that are that are uh, important for businesses and and uh, you know business hangouts and so forth. But a lot of people. Let me, before we get into that, let me just clarify sort of your relationship. Then you have sort of a unique partnership with Google to sell Google uh, products globally. Is yeah. that as an, a fair assessment? Yeah, as a reseller, we actually have all the territories available to us. So that means we're a one-stop shop, soup to nuts, multi-jurisdiction. So if a company decided they wanted to do something in Toronto and then they had offices around the world, then that's something that uh, something we could do. It's a little bit more unique. In a reseller's uh, you know, uh, program, usually there's 
set territories and certain types of customers that you would work with. So there are not a lot of people on the planet that have that relationship with Google that you have. Exactly, yeah. So we are in rare company here, Victor. I mean, <laughs> so you are a Google insider. You were there in the early stages. You, you cultivated a relationship with, with these people. How do you respond when people perceive Google as, ooh, you know, Google, they're, you know, they're a Borg, they're... Um, they're allowing. They've got all these back doors, and they're allowing the CIA to spy on us. And Google is evil. Google is the problem. We've got to. We got to. We got to get rid of Google. How do you respond to that? Well, uh, I believe that actually, as as far as conspiracy theories go, uh, whatever you focus on is whatever you get more of, right? So, uh, I guess it's better just to really, you know, like the, the irony is all the stuff that I'm saying is, you know is actually on the internet. You can follow along with your web browser and use Google to Google this stuff, of course. Um, the interesting part is Google is an open book. They use open source software to be able to do all this stuff. Uh, it's a very cool culture, like as far as a culture goes and, and it, as a business model. Incredible, incredible. Uh, but yeah, a lot of people call them, you know, the Borg, you know, assimilation, you know, resistance is futile, you will be assimilated, right? Is it? Is it futile? Well, I, it depends on how you look at it, I guess, because it reduces your cost up to 70% to be able to switch from the other products in the market to this, and it reduces your environmental um, uh, footprint by up to 98%. I know you're going to have to, people are going to have to Google that one because it's almost unbelievable for that. So they're doing an awful lot of good, that's for sure, and that's why I got involved. But was. they're so big, Andrew, and they're so pervasive. Uh, and I'm I'm hearing stories now that, and in fact, I read this in in or the mighty Aphrodite translated it for me. It was in a Greek newspaper. Google owns Greece. Is that true? Um, uh, I guess it depends on how you look at it. Greece needed a lot of you know somebody to come along to help buy a few things out, and I read that on the internet too. That there's there's quite a few pieces of infrastructure stuff they bought over there. So, I do guess they have that kind of money and that kind of power? And we'll find out who they are. But yeah, sure. Um, well, yeah, it's a it's a rapidly growing company, extremely, you know, financially, you know, successful. So it makes sense for them to go out and acquire things. Of course, Artists. should we be troubled by that? Like one company has the power to buy a country. Yeah, I, I guess you know, um, really, as far as from a, a cultural standpoint, they're very open and very good. So. There would be a lot of things that are very beneficial, but you know when you when you have things happen like you know the uh, uh, the marketing director of Egypt for Google um, got involved what was going on over there in a revolution and in thirty days he got rid of a dictator and you know in thirty days it was there for thirty years. Wait a second, let me just stop you there. You're saying that the Google marketing director was responsible for toppling Hosni Mubarak. Well. He was instrumental in it, that's for sure, and he was on 60 Minutes and talked an awful lot about it. And so he was that focus point for the whole thing. It was, it was definitely a movement, so that requires more than, more than one person. But Can you spend a little, just a little bit of time explaining how Google could topple a dictator? Well, it was a, it was a group of people using a social you know, platform, and he just decided to you know, make sure that he was talking about this, and people recognized him and the way he, he spoke about it highly influenced that whole situation. He even went missing and people thought that, you know, that they feared for his life and Google got involved and so on. So it was, it was, it was pretty interesting. Um, but the interesting part is, is that two years after, the Army's still in charge and they're still 
all the challenges. So it's, it's not necessarily that these tools are out there that you can do these things, but where are the people that are wanting to be able to move things forward and what's the plan going forward, right? Victor, are you getting this? I mean, I, I, I'm really trying hard. Um, I, you, you said something a second ago that um, this individual for Google did, did what he did in, in toppling. Mm-hmm. And then, then from that, maybe we can pick up this uh, in a Yeah, in a we'll, we'll go yeah. into a break. But yeah. Just get your question. Uh, the then the we'll question answer. is, okay, you mentioned, well, then, then he was on 60 Minutes. Now, that seems to be like a left hook one way and then a right hook another way. Um, in order to legitimize what he did, he had to be on 60 Minutes. Would him being on Google have legitimized it completely, or does the mainstream media still play a role in legitimizing what this man did? Well, I'm glad you stuck around. That's a great question. You've earned your key. I'm a smart guy. You are. All right, we'll take a time out. Andrew Gregg, Google Insider, is with us. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network back. Join our Google Hangout. We'll get you uh, the website. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, Richard Serrett. Stay with us. All right, welcome back. A bit of an experiment tonight. We are conducting a Google Hangout. And uh, here's how you can get to it. If you just go to my... You know, we'll, we'll work out the, uh, the wrinkles as we go on. But as I say, this is a bit of a laboratory tonight. If you go to my Twitter feed, uh, twitter.com forward slash Richard Serrett, and we've actually uh, tweeted there about the hangout and it's the very first feed at the top at the, of the timeline just click on the link the youtube link and that should take you to our google hangout and uh, don't worry this is a this is a good hangout you're not hanging uh, out with uh, a bunch of ne'er-do-wells this is good information we're bringing you and andrew Gregg is with us a google insider He's a bit of a technological visionary and you, you look so unassuming sitting there in your, your friendly little Google T-shirt and your, your hoodie. Um, and, and yet, I mean, you are – you have a very unique relationship with the people that founded Google. What, what is the origin of Google? Where did it come from? I mean, how did it become this monolith? It was a, uh, uh, a search engine, of course. Uh, you know, two guys in a dorm, just like most technology companies that dropped out and decided to, you know, change things. And then it morphed into buying, you know, recently artificial intelligence companies to robotics companies to, you know, many different things. So it's, uh, it's just, a, just a better way to be able to find information. You know, they wanted to be able to make sure that all the information was accessible worldwide to anybody that wanted access to it, right? Can we talk about its its early origin? Is that okay? I mean, it it wasn't just a search engine. It was a particular kind of search engine, correct? Well, there's there's rumors, of course, and you can go back on the internet, and there's you know people that you know two guys in a dorm type stuff. It was you know, gee, what would they be looking for late at night <laughs> in a college dorm? Information on uh, how to build a steel girder bridge? No. What what were they looking for? Well, you know, it could be. Um, uh, probably a good search engine to be able to sort all types of data, including, you know, of course, the, 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 the information as far as the Internet goes. A lot of stuff is, is, is born from, you know, the, the porn industry, right? So it sorts everything. So, so that, that's the rumor, anyway, that Google w- began as a mo- more effective way of searching for porn. Well, yeah, any search engine, actually, because in the early days and still today, of course, it's, it's, it's quite big, although religion obviously has found the Internet, so... They're now, you know, really big as far as searches go, you know, compared to uh, 
compared right. to the, the porn industry. Yeah. How big is Google? I mean, can you quantify something like that? Well, yeah, they're a publicly held company, so you could take a look at you know their their financials, and it's uh, you know it's, it's it's staggering, right? How how fast they're growing. It's it's arguably one of the fastest growing companies ever in history, right? So it's uh, it's it's interesting that most people see Google obviously as a you know a, a tap that you turn on every day, like a public utility, and right, the water right. comes out. Sure, you expect the water to be. We don't even think about it. Yeah, to be drinkable and it'll always be there and so on, right? So it's it's just inter- interesting to see how you get to the point where you know the, there, there's three gentlemen that you know that run it, right? The two founders and the CEO, and to see that uh, you know it, it could be it could be argued that they have more information on everybody else on the planet than all of you know the governments combined right and what what does that look like right you've got the NSA breaking in you've got China breaking in to be, you know for their own reasons and so on and it's very public about that stuff there's there's a TED talk with you know the CEO of Google now that's also one of the founders that talked about that and even in the recent book of the former CEO um, talking about you know what's you know what happened when China broke in. So it, there's really you know as far as people talking about Illuminati or you know uh, whatever's out there the the one percent the ninety nine percent you know even the Queen of England went to go visit the guys at Google at their office right. The Queen went to vi- to visit the the CEO at Google. Well, I, they, she visited the offices. It was, it was pretty interesting to watch. I think they gave her some kind of technical thing that she just looked at and went hmm. I don't know. So, <laughs> Interesting. It's, you know what? We've we, we got to get back to Victor's question. Sure. Uh, Victor, we were talking about how Google, the marketing director, may have been instrumental in toppling Hosni Mubarak during the Arab Spring. And Victor said, at a great question, Victor, it was, you know, then, then he goes on 60 Minutes uh, as, as – well, how did you describe it? Re-ask re, re that question. Well, it was a good one. Essentially what I was just trying to get at is the, the power, the, the continuing power and influence of, of mainstream media and how it contends with this whole uh, vision uh, that, 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 uh, that Greg's explaining. In order for you to legitimize what you're doing, this person had to go on 60 Minutes to legitimize himself. And in going on mainstream media, right. he automatically became legitimate. And the, because 60 Minutes is the is what is probably the most powerful news news program on television, right? Was, was, despite the fact that more people now are watching videos on YouTube than watching all network news combined, probably. Well, yeah, of course, exactly. Chris yeah. made that point. But in order for you know, legitimacy can come in all different forms, and doesn't matter how much something happens in one other sphere of influence, it can be in a hundred million times more uh, more more pervasive. But you can still have a dense kernel of a smaller entity being. More more influential in terms of purveying the legitimacy of, of an issue of, of any kind, despite the fact that something else is, is bigger. And 60 Minutes still retains that. Sure. So I guess what, where I'm going with my question is, uh, when will the legitimacy or the, the, the influence that a show like um, 60 Minutes has, when will that go into total decline and this other entity become as dense in its power to legitimize any issue? It doesn't matter what the issue is. Yeah. That's I mean, if we hit that, have we hit that point where... Nobody's watching anymore mainstream. Uh, I mean, at least not the eyes that matter in terms of the marketers and the advertisers. They're, they've all, they're, they've all teleported into the, you know, the, the internet um, ether or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, I guess a, a way of measuring that would be just you know to go to YouTube and look up 60 Minutes and Egypt, 
right, and to, you know, marketing director of Google, and to check this out, right, and to see on the videos how many people have actually viewed them. And then if you could see, you know, 60 minutes of viewership for that live presentation when they had it, you could pretty much see the data yourself as far as when that kind of is, right? Um, but, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense that he wanted to be able to let the rest of the world know what was going on uh, to be able to help out his situation there, right? So it's a... Uh, it's, I don't know when the time would be. You'd really have to take a look at the numbers on YouTube and to, to see what right. 60 Minutes is doing. Do you, do, you see that time, do you see that time coming when somebody at CBS is going to just turn the, turn the lights off and on, uh, on uh, 60 Minutes, just going to click, and it no longer exists? As, as, a, as a viable uh, purveyor of, inf of any kind of information where people go to get their information on a Sunday night at 7 o'clock Eastern time? Well, when a new paradigm replaces the old one, right? You know, when you go from horses and buggies and buggy whips to cars, the guys that made buggies and buggy whips didn't, and coaches didn't make it into the automotive industry. So we're going through a time when it's a, it's a new paradigm replacing an old one. It's a generational thing. There's such a gap in between. It's happening so fast that, you know, to, to answer the question is, yeah, it is very likely one day that, you know, that'll be turned off or it'll morph into something. Either they adopt this new way of, mm -hmm. of doing things, right? Yeah. Well, the the the, the, uh, the CBC is going through the same thing. It's struggling to survive. Right. It's yeah, they're gearing more of their. They're going to start gearing more of their content mm -hmm. towards you know portable devices. That's, right. That's where the eyes and the ears are. Uh, talk to me about the transfer of wealth then that's going on during Google's rise to you know world dominance. Yeah, it's uh, basically it's going from like your, your Facebook and your Microsoft and, and other things, just those alone tipping over towards Google um, is, you know, all going to that one place. This is arguably the, the largest shift in wealth and influence in the world. And, you know, that's, that's an interesting point, right? So are, are they good or are they bad? Well, they sure feel good. They feel like the guy next door and you can trust them and everything and so on. Um, the, the question is, is how do we make sure we don't end up in the same situation we've ended up in the past, right? So, you know, uh, certain people having a certain amount of information and being able to use that information to, to benefit only the few. So what if somebody had a, you know, an agreement that was global, right? And what if, you know, how do you, how do you influence an actual uh, corporation, right? You influence their, their revenue stream, especially if they're public, right? So how would, you, how would you do that? Well, you influence your customers. Well, what if, what if collectively you formed a buying group and you were the largest customer of Google and you brought most of the customers to Google? So I've had this, this idea, you know, what if with the global agreement that we have is to be able to, you know, make it that everybody could have like a co-op and a credit union and a WestJet put together where it's all completely distributed as far as ownership goes. And that way it becomes, you know, the largest lobbying group and, uh, you know, influence in the world. But Google is really just a supplier and everybody has a voice rather than just people that are, you know, putting money in, this, in, the, in the open stock market or people are internally running the company. Um, because right now there's very few people, right, that are part of that decision-making process that's this huge influence. So you want to, you wanna, it sounds like, you want to wrest control of Google from Google. Well, 
it's it's good for both sides, right? Because at the end of the day, you want to uh, decentralize the decision-making process, right? And also gives loyalty to somebody like Google, right? So to be able to make sure people trust them because it is cloud computing. Your stuff is sitting out there somewhere, right? You know, uh, our slogan is, is, you know, we make cloud computing rain money for you, right? But how do you know they're doing the right rain dance? And is it going to rain? When's it going to rain? How much? The, the trick is, is this is a way for people to consolidate. Like you've got, you've got your, you know, we are the 1%, we are the 99%, right? Like I'm a grade nine dropout. And by my math, if you're 99% and you can connect through the internet and become a buying group and a lobbying group, then you are in charge. You just have to make that decision. That's all. Or have an opportunity. So this is, you know, something I'm putting out for discussion. If people want to contact us to see if they want to do it, we've already been working with some students in, in Costa Rica and now here in Canada where, you know, we, we give them access to be able to get training in Google and certified in Google so they can work and make income. There's a Google University, right? Yeah. Some people call it affectionately, you know, Google or, you know, uh, Partner Connect. There's different, different words for it. But basically, as a reseller, we have access to this course where we can become certified, like being certified in Google or Cisco or anything else. And then that way you can, you can do that. So we actually, with Google, it's very interesting. Their model is very different than everybody else. So, you know, for $10 a month, somebody with us can actually have a supported account for all of these tools and have access to all this courseware and to get certified in, in all different ways or not get certified and just, you know, learn about it and do what, you know, as I mentioned to you before, an eight-year-old is in the press right now making $1.3 million a year posting, you know, videos to YouTube. But she's not producing anything, really. I mean, she's producing content. I suppose for that, I, I'm not producing anything, really, then am I? I mean, but she's monetizing these Google videos that she's producing. But that's one person out of 5 billion people that might, or how many people have access to YouTube. That's well, one, one no, person. It, no? The spectrum is all across the board. It's just that it's happened so fast that only the younger people are actually can understand it in the new model, right? Like what would Google do as a great book to read to understand how everything's upside down completely in, in business from the way it was, you know, freemiums and gratuity-based society. Um, it's, it's, it's very different today, and a lot of people haven't had a chance to read these books. You know, the latest one from the former CEO of Google, right? How does Google work, right? It's, it's right there. It's a complete open book of, of how this new paradigm is replacing the old one, right? So it's, it's right there for anybody. Go ahead, Victor. I just wondered, you, you talk about um, monetizing things um, and, and you know, selling and, and, and doing all of that. Is, is this format that you're looking at, and it it's definitely is a different paradigm, I, I, I totally agree with you, is it money-driven or is it issue-driven or is it both or is it something else? Well, that's a good question. You know, I, does Google have a soul? Does Google have a conscience, right? And in the latest book that just came out, and this, the former CEO of Google was just at the Empire Club here in, in Toronto. And when, when you, you know, get to the very last part of the book, they talk about China breaking into Google. And the part that bothered them the most was is that you know, they were looking not just for intellectual property and business and you know, stuff and so on, but about human rights activists, right? And that's the part that just you know, turns your stomach, right? And China broke into Google so that they could find out the identity of people who belong to certain groups. Can yes. we just? Can I just say it? Yeah. Yeah. It's the it's the it's, Falun Gong, right? It's, it's right there in the latest book that they've got out. So yeah. And and also, you know, the NSA and CIA backdoors in, into Google to yep. spy on you, Victor, and you, Andrew, and me, and 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 everyone. Yeah. 
Yeah, and know, Google, what, are they apologizing for that? Are they saying we, it was beyond our control or are they complicit? There's a, a TED Talk with one of the founders who's now the CEO that you know, literally says it's unfortunate that we have to protect our customers who are U.S.-based from their own government. From are they though? Are they protecting them? I, I, I truly do believe that they are based on you know, watching them. How do we know you're not just part of the Google Borg? You are one of nine, <laughs> Andrew Gregg. Well, I'm a resource, so it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm apart from them, right? So I'm not internal, I'm external. But you bought the T-shirt. Yeah, we'll I be, we'll Actually, be. they gave it to me for free, sorry. Okay, <laughs> we'll be back with The Conspiracy Show, Google Insider, Confessions of a Google Insider. Victor Vigiani from Zeland News Network is here just because he asks great questions. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. And we are back. Confessions of a Google Insider. Andrew Gregg, Victor Vigiani, my sidekick from Zealand News Network, is here as well. And we are uh, involved in a little experiment, our very first Google Hangout. And again, if you want to join the Google Hangout, uh, what you need to do, just for now anyway, because this is sort of a project in progress, uh, you go to my Twitter feed, and that's twitter.com forward slash Richard Serrett. And... You just click on the the, um, the URL, the link there that says youtube.com forward slash watch question mark V. I won't give you all the, the characters, but it, just click on that and then you are in the Google Hangout. And we're trying to reach a whole new audience. Uh, Andrew Gregg is with us. And uh, Andrew, you said something during the break uh, that I found fascinating. And I know Victor's uh, did a bit of a double take too. You said that Google is the collective consciousness and nobody's in control. Explain yourself. Well, that's easy. You know, it's, if I was, you know, your previous person that was in here, you know, talking, I'd be saying, if I landed here, I'd be like, who is in control anyway? And really, it really looks like it's in a free fall, right? Because we've had, you know, we can see that around the world with pyramids all over the world and other things that this planet has been colonized by us many times and then all of a sudden boop we're gone there's a few left and we start all over again the rise and fall of civilizations and then we start we start from scratch yeah. except somebody when we rise you know from the ashes there there are a selective few the cabal that that has that retains some of that old information well the you know i i guess the best way to put this is like uh you know and you can google these things the art of war by ten shu right is to to keep your friends close to but keep your your enemies even closer so in effect, make them friends, or on the internet they call them frenemies, right? Frenemies, right? So the best way to do that is 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 to, you know, when you're being assimilated by the Borg, you know, resistance is futile, and you know we are in control of the internet. Please do not attempt to adjust the horizontal and the vertical. Well, get close to that, and how do you influence that? Like we just talked about, you know, you can make sure that. You're part of the collective consciousness. So maybe the art of war by Ten Shu on a whole different level, if you spiral up way, way up above to take a look at this, you know, for another planet, is we have the conscious and the subconscious, right? But the conscious is only 5% of the time that we use that, right? Because just go to walk in front of a bus while you're thinking about your grocery list and your body will step back so you don't get hit by the bus. So you've got the first six years of your life where you're programmed pretty much for the rest of your life. Right, and that's why advertising is so, so much on the youth, right? And then, so really, if you're talking about Google being the collective consciousness, right, then that conversation, those vibrations that are happening out there, it just we just have to decide we're going to partake, 
right? Instead of sitting there and saying we're the 99%, and I think you failed math if you're deciding that that's what you're saying as far as life goes. You're failing life. Right. right? So what do you want to do with – let's say you, you convince the 99% you know, and, and uh, we all become Google Borgs. What do you want to do with Google? How are you going to use Google to save the planet, Andrew? Google's just a uh, – it's a supplier of things, but they're doing some very interesting things. They were carbon neutral since 2007, right? They put over a billion dollars into clean, clean energy technology. The, you know, the way they treat their employees, the amenities are just – it's like being at a frat house, right? It's just absolutely incredible. Electric cars, massages, and bring your dog to work and you – know, Yes, free, free. by the time you're 23, it's the, it's, the, it's the gold watch and the handshake, isn't it? I mean you, you don't last in that culture very long, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's it's not really a chronological thing. It's more of your state of mind, right? Uh, there are a lot of people that are there that have been there since the beginning, and love it. You know, well, that could have something to do with vesting stock options too. And, but no doubt, <laughs> I'm sure there's quite a few happy people with that. But yeah, it's you know what, what I'm saying is is you know there really isn't any Illuminati. There really isn't any somebody. You know, there is no us and them. There's just we. And once we get to the we, then maybe we can break this cycle of not, you know, having a civilization disappear that's global. Okay, so back to how you use, how we can use Google, this huge pipeline Mm -hmm. of information, to heal the planet. Well, it's already well on its way with the way that they're trying to do things, right? Um, You know, the ex-wife of one of the CEOs, or or sorry, I think it's of the CEO or one of the two founders, is, you know, wants your DNA, Right, so there, there, there's many different interesting things when you, you know, just Google literally how big is Google, and you'll see all the different things. You know, the largest manufacturer of computers on the planet, the largest consumer, you know, of, you know, on, of computers on the planet. You know, over 80% of the mobile phones in the world use, you know, their operating system, Android. Right, so for once, you now have a single point of influence where. You had other countries that would fight against each other. So now you have a way to be able to inject in this, have a global conversation, you know, hypothetically a global currency, a global, you know, like as a teacher, one of the kindergarten, you know, uh, girls came over to me and said, hey, you know, I understand from looking at all this stuff, we researched this to get world peace. You just have to, you know, every country has like a, a, uh, a bill of rights. You know, they have their declaration, they have, you know, whatever that is. And it's an instant act of war for another country to go against the other country's, you know, uh, you know, Bill of Rights or, you know, Constitution. That's what I was looking for. And so she suggested, why don't you just make every country like a province or a state or a parish, and we have one country, which is the planet. Then there'd be no construct or reason for war, right? So out of the mouths of, you know, if you want to know what the world's going to look like tomorrow— Things happen so fast. You really got to talk to a kindergarten class. You mentioned the uh, the CEO, uh, the ex-wife of one of the. Ce- we'll come back and, and talk about this. But the the ex-wife of one of the CEOs apparently is investing a lot of moolah into starting this seed bank. It's almost like Noah's Ark. She's gathering the animals as the rain is coming. Mm. We'll find out what that's all about. When we come back, Andrew Gregg, Confessions of a Google Insider, Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network. Join our Google Hangout. Go to the uh, the Twitter feed, Richard Serrett uh, Twitter feed, and click on the YouTube link there, and you are in. A bit of an experiment, uh, and hopefully an ongoing one. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. 
Hey, just a reminder, Follow the Truth is coming like a freight train. Uh, Sunday, November the 16th at the Regent Theater. Yours truly will be uh, hosting and uh, inviting. Oh, the, the speakers list is growing. We were, we're up around uh, seven or eight, I think, now. Uh, and they will gather on stage again on Sunday, November the 16th at the Regent Theater in Oshawa. And all you need to do uh, to get involved, uh, you can order your passes uh, through the box office, 905-721-3399. And for more details, if you want to see uh, a biography of all the speakers, and we have some amazing people coming to town. Don Schmidt from, uh, uh, well, the preeminent uh, Roswell UFO crash investigator. Jim Penniston, uh, Dr. Uh, Ronald Mallett on time travel, Patty Greer on crop circles, Jim Elvidge, are we living in the matrix? Uh, also, Debbie Papadakis, past life regression therapist, and uh, my guest, Google in. Insider Andrew Gregg, although Andrew, the subject uh, you'll be discussing uh, at the conference on the 16th of November will be uh, pyramids, and I don't know if we'll have time to get into that now. But um, uh, if people want to want to hear some pretty mind-blowing uh, information about pyramids and the role that they might play in healing the planet, uh, then they want to come on out to uh, follow the truth. Follow the truth TV. All right, back to uh, Google now. Uh, the former, or the, the, the ex-wife of one of the, the CEOs or directors of, of Google, we now know is spending untold amounts of money, desperately trying to build this seed arc. What's going on there? What does she know that the rest of us only suspect? Well, that's, that's a good question, right? So how is there a way that everybody could act, have access to this all-seeing eye or whatever you would call it of Google, right? Because they can real time see what's trending, what's a fad, what's you know what's going to happen in the world, right? Um, with all this analytics, so it, it's it's interesting to see that. So I believe that should be something that the public should have access to, right? What is the the heartbeat of the planet, right? So that we could all affect that moving forward. That's it's the oracle, isn't it? These yeah. Google analytics tell us what's going on in the planet. Yeah, and I, so she has access to that. Yeah. And she saw what's happening, and so she's decided to build a seed arc. So what does that tell us then, Andrew? Well, uh, I don't know. I think it's up to everybody's own personal opinion. What, what do you think mean. it means? I, 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 you know, I, I believe that there are a lot of people, including myself, that believe that the cycle that has happened many times on the planet is, is going to happen again. But didn't we dodge the Mayan calendar end of times? I, mean, I believe that was just like the point of no return because even, you know, Rob Stewart, who made a documentary here in Canada that's one of the best-funded, most-seen documentaries called Revolution. Um, you know, even the trailer in 1.5 minutes, it's pretty convincing that he says the oceans are 30% more acidic than, you know, than they should be in the last 100 years. And we only got, to, you know, we've only got like 10 to 15 years left before, you know, algae blooms are not there and many other things that we need to be able to sustain life as it is, right? And the only place you can really live is at the top of a very large mountain range look at the sierra indians look at you know many you know tibet look at these people that have been around for a long time that don't seem to be hugely part of the conversation but are hinting towards things are on mountains right so and they're there for a reason i believe right it's that's that's really kind of the noah's ark of the world is to be on top of a mountain that's above all these issues as, as things hit because the at that altitude you can survive uh, you know massive radiation and and, and so forth because it carries in the cloud it's certain there's certain layers to the atmosphere right so you'd, you'd want to be above 
all those issues. And the mountain itself has water coming out through the top of it that takes many years to come out from the ground source. So you'd have water, you'd have food, you'd have vegetation. That gives you oxygen. So as long as you're above the cloud cover, because everything, you know, is sitting up there, whether it's be volcanic or, you know, an asteroid or, you know, whatever it may be, right? Does, do the, does the CEO of Google and uh, the founders, do they know, for example, that you, a person who has the rare distinction of being one of the few global partners with Google, not the only, but one of the few, do they know you're sitting here doing a Google Hangout talking about what's going on at Google, and are they okay with it? Well, I'm sure they have very busy lives, so there's many things that are obviously be <laughs> uh, that are happening, like you know the NSA and China and other things that are looking at. Uh, but we do have people to answer your question on our team that do have you know relationships on our executive team with the, with the uh, the founders of Google and the executives of Google. So so yeah, it's it's been an ongoing conversation over time, and you know for for Google to grow, you know to enter the Chinese market. Um, which has been a challenge in other markets, a Canadian slash Costa Rican company that's geopolitically neutral that, you know, could take these standards, take it to a place where people could store their data locally and have access to the entire software code would make, you know, people sleep a little bit better at night and have a global platform that everybody could rely upon. It's like a, a global utility, right? A, lo- a global utility that everybody has access to. It's, it sounds good. Victor, are you ready to assimilate into the uh, the Google Borg? You. I, I got to say a no to that one, but... Uh, Why? Well, I, I just don't understand exactly where it's going. I mean, if the goal is to have um, people live on mountaintops um, because of what's happening below them, I'm not quite sure I buy into that. Um, what do we have to do to eliminate the possibility of that occurring? And if Google can be part of the change factor... Well, I think uh, that's what he's saying, right? That's what you're saying. I, I, it, can it be? Yeah, now, I, if, you monetize, if you monetize things to a point where everyone's just after money, then I think you're barking up the wrong mountain. Um, if, if there's a, a monetization to eliminate the cabals that are controlling things and eliminating um, worldviews that disallow us to, for example, admit that we're not alone in the universe and where are we going with that one, if Google is, is moving towards that, as I said earlier, if it's an issue-oriented platform, by all means, we need to move in that direction. But if it's going to be something that's going to monetize uh, and eventually partake in an economy that will eventually not exist anyway, so that the, the money will not exist one day. It'll be archaic. So when you're talking about Google monetizing, it's moving towards an endgame that won't exist eventually. But if you're, if you're a, a Costa Rican uh, a child... Uh, with well, I mean, the standard of living in Costa Rica uh, is, is comparatively pretty good. I'm thinking, but in other parts of the world, let's say you're, um, you know, you're living in Bangladesh, and you don't have access to one of these, you know, microfinancing banks or something. How, how is Google going to change your lot in life? Uh, well, back to the, you know, the kid that's making, you know, 1.3 million dollars a year at the age of eight, right? right. So it it, it really. It lowers the barrier to entry for people to socially and economically uplift themselves. And at a young age, they get self-esteem. And once they have that perpetual motion machine of self-esteem, they can find their God-given gift or passion and, and hone that and share it with the world. And the byproduct of doing good is making money. The, the revenue models is really what's changing in the world, right? And with Google, they're driving a lot of things to zero. So they're, they're, they're lowering the barrier to entry in a huge, huge way for people to be able to be a part of that. 
So what it used to take to become somebody that made a lot of money, had a lot of influence, is now available to somebody that can do it in a matter of days or minutes or hours, right? No, let's hang on a second. You know as well as I do that if everyone were to be at that level of monetization, of enjoying the capital that's available, that's impossible. There's not enough money to go around to, to, to monetize situations for everyone to buy into a, monetary, a money system uh, that doesn't You're saying it's money. unsustainable. It's we can't unsustainable. all live we, in... We, we in can't, if, if we had uh, everybody living at, uh, at, at, an, at, you know, at $50,000 a year on the planet, it's impossible. That, that, that cannot happen with the current monetary system that's in place. So if you're moving in that direction, um, I don't know, I just have to rethink the whole idea of of people buying in at certain levels to make money, and when does that stop? You eventually have to li- eliminate some people from that from that model. Mm-hmm. Some people will not be able to participate in that model at all. Mm-hmm. So where where are you going with it? That's my only question. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's where we're all going with it, right? It's like watching Star Trek, you know, in 1968, and now we have, you know, flat screens, and we have, you know, me up Scotty communicators and we're talking to computers and stuff right so we're creating all this right so to point at everybody else it's it's really we're pointing when you point at somebody you've got three fingers coming back and one finger going forward you know said my grandparents right Mm -hmm. so the trick is that we're trying to put this question everybody else the question is on you the question is on everybody that is listening to this that's part of that conversation Mm -hmm. right so will it be redundant yeah everything changes you know and as far as you know how to get from here to there right what does that look like things change so rapidly today right like i was one of the very is, first is that, is that part of the problem that things change so rapidly yeah it is it is for for generations especially when you've got people living longer so is change incremental in its in its movement forward all the time no it's it's like moore's law they said you know the guy that you know for chipsets right the more you buy the more you want right so Consumerism. You. So let's let's summarize here then. Google is uh, is not the Illuminati. Nobody's in control. You want the ninety nine percent of us to wrest control from Google and use it. Use this massive pipeline of information uh, to educate the planet. Uh, to uh, to empower uh, young people, impoverished people. I mean, it does sound. Uh, granted, Victor, I would agree. It does sound utopian. Yeah, where, where we go from here is um, a lot of synchronicity have happened in my life, a lot of things that are hard to explain unless you're traveling with me and see things, right? Um, we were one of the very first Google phones, uh, an actual developer phone that we put in the marketplace, and it all just fell into my lap, like synchronicity. It was just, just incredible. So even recently, stuff like that's been happening. Um, the, um, you know... Right now, there's a headset you can buy for $250, and they use it for gaming systems that came from fighter planes, right? And you put this thing on your head, and it picks up on, it's called Emotive, and you can literally run your computer. You can run your wheelchair. You can, you know, move a drone around. It's like telekinesis. Yeah, it actually is. It sees the neurons firing and the little micro, you know, electricity firing, and it picks up on that. And, you know, there's TED Talks of this stuff, and it's been around for 12, 13 years. And now, but the people that are using this interface, right? Like, remember going from your BlackBerry to your, to your, you know, touchscreen, right? That right. that was, you know, kids had no issue with, issue with that. You know, I had a hard time going from my tactile, you know. So, if I was to make a prediction right here, based on what I've seen, because I am a futurist and I've seen, you know, like 
these things happen. I've been at the, at the beginning of these things. Is you're going to see, and I met a gentleman named Grove with Aroga that you know has a company that works with and has been for 28 years. Uh, children with learning disabilities and physical disabilities with government contracts to give them tools to be, uh, you know, uh, to be independent. But he's changed that philosophy to being interdependent. So actually there's enough tools out there now that you could actually take people that have these challenges and make them equals, if not better, because you've got this headset that uh, you can literally, you know, do this stuff on the computer. So you can literally move things and do things at the speed of thought. And that's the new interface. And working with these kids that have these deficiencies because of the environment, birthing, you know, what's happened out there is the irony, is that these people in wheelchairs, they're all going to be Stephen Hawking's that are going to save us through this new interface that is just so much faster because there's so much information. How do you assimilate it all? How do you make decisions? So these kids can really do that through these headsets at a, at a rapid, rapid, rapid pace. Well, Andrew, uh, I really appreciate you taking some time to... Uh, to uh Awaken us to this, to the potential, to the pitfalls. Uh, confessions of a Google Insider. I, I'd say give us a website, but it would be what, Google.com? No, what is the website? What, where would you like to steer us? Websites are obsolete, I know you tell me, but... Yeah, it's more of our, you know, you can find us on, you know, on G+, right, which is now fairly close, if not bigger, than Facebook, depending on how you look at it. So Facebook is obsolete, Twitter is obsolete, websites are obsolete. Yeah, well, if you look at the numbers, yeah, they're trending down, and this is trending up. It took, just for some numbers, it took, uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook over 800 days to be able to get to their first 10 million. It took G plus 16 days. Wow. On that note, um, thanks for joining us on our Google Hangout. We'll do this again. Victor Vigiani, a pleasure. Great to be with you as always. Andrew, thank you. Uh, back next week with a, a brand new show. We'll talk about history cycles. What are you doing to prepare? Thank you, Tim Spreen. And, as always, follow the truth. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.